Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Now, for some of you coffee lovers out there, you're all excited. That was very, very good. And you're thinking, so just hold on. You can get to LP or Starbucks pretty quick. I get you. But just a beautiful picture of what we want to talk about today. First of all, again, I want to say thank you for joining us uh, here in, in person and online. We're just going to have a great time in God's Word today. But we've been talking for the last few weeks about the last few chapters of the book of Romans. And we've introduced it with this word transform from Romans chapter 12 verse number two. And what we're looking at now is a word that's, that we're finding to be kind of thematic as we, as we move through these chapters, and that's the word for unity. So if you were with us last Sunday, uh, we, we picked up an image, and we're going to add to that image today. But last Sunday, what we talked about was this idea of the, the Legos. And each one of us has a part of that God has chosen us specifically. And we are each a, an individual Lego that God has made and God has chosen, but not to meant to be alone, that he is building his temple. And each of us are as living stones. We're living Lego pieces, if you would, in which God is using to make the, uh, the structure, the temple, and that's what God has designed, that we're, something, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's the idea of unity, that God is putting us together in that, in, in that, for that fashion, for that reason. So today, uh, obviously, our picture is this idea of, of coffee. And again, th- the picture is not just uh, you know, all these diverse things coming together, but the fact that unity is, is the cup. It's the, w- the vehicle that God chooses to do something with each one of us, and you take that as that phrase, the hands of a master creator, and he takes all of those pieces together, and he makes something bigger. He does something bigger than the one individual could do when he puts all those pieces together. That's the idea of of unity. So uh, why is this so important? Why is this something that we need to focus on? Well, let me show you what Jesus said about this particular topic. Uh, On the night that Jesus, just hours before he's going to be betrayed and ultimately crucified, he has this intense prayer with his father that's recorded in Scripture. And in this prayer, listen to what he says in John 17. Jesus says, I have given them the glory, Father, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. He said, my prayer is that my people, and that included his disciples then, it also includes us. The prayer is for us to be in unity. But it's the next verse that's so critical. He then explains why this is so important. He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The purpose for the unity is that each of us together, there's a bigger picture here. There is something even more important, that the world is able to see the love of God, and he'll do that as, the, as his people are in unity. To use our expression for us today, the, the goal is so that the world will wake up and smell the coffee, right? They'll wake up and they'll smell the aroma of the unity of God's people doing what God wants them to do. So we started last week unpacking Uh, a a very important passage of scripture, Romans. We're going to be there again today in your Bibles, electronic devices, Romans chapter 14 and 15, where Paul specifically addresses this idea of unity. We're going to get to this verse eventually, but let me just read one we're coming to. Romans 15, verse number five. Listen to what Paul says. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement 
Paul's praying a prayer similar to what Jesus did. Uh, the God who gives encouragement and endurance give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that, and here's his, here's his reason, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not unlike what Jesus said. Unity so that together that voice will be strong and make an impact in the world around us to ultimately glorify God. So as we're learning, as God's people, Romans 12, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't allow the, the world culture to influence you, but be transformed. And so what we're looking at in these two weeks, we're talking about being transformed together in unity. And what does that look like? Why is that important? How do we get there? All right, so I was reminded of a story this week. Some of you probably have heard the story, so I'll try to relate it, see if you, if you remember it. There was a, a Baptist gentleman that found himself deserted on a remote island for 20 years. Finally, the rescuers that were looking for him finally found him on this island by himself, and they noticed when they came on the island that there were three different structures that he had built. And they thought that was kind of interesting. So they said, so explain to us these three structures. He said, well, this is my house. Okay, that makes sense. This is where he lives. He said, and this is, and what's the second one? He said, this is my church because I'm, I'm a Baptist. I'm very serious about my faith, so I have a church. And they said, well, what's that third building? And he said, well, that's the old church that I attended before the big split. <laughs> okay, so that's funny, but not funny. When you think about the, the issues that have divided churches over the years, a few years ago, uh, author Tom Rayner put out a, a uh, blog and his, uh, his title this way, 25 Silly Things That Churches Fight Over. And he, what he did is he categorized, and these are actual accounts that he has received from people in churches and things that have caused conflicts, caused division, even caused splits within their churches. I won't list them all, but he goes from a range to something like this. Uh, some of the fights were over how long the worship leader's beard could be, the measurement of the beard. And then a fight just specifically, can the staff have beards at all or should they all be clean shaven? That was a fight that people had within a church. You go to the, the idea of something so precious as communion, and there was an argument over, can you have cran grape juice, or does it have to be just pure grape juice? And, and I've actually known of churches that people have left over using those, those uh, ready-made ones that we use now, the ones that you, it's all in one, that's just disrespectful and not to be used, or not having gluten-free bread, and there's a fight over those kind of things within the communion. Those are all actually events. And this one, this one grabs my attention. You can't have deviled eggs or devil's food cake at a church potluck. I mean, you're inviting the devil to come right in there when you do that, right? <laughs> it, 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 so that, but here's the other thing. You can't call it a potluck because we don't believe in luck around here. It's got to be a, a pot blessing, okay? You, you understand? You say, that's ridiculous. That's silly, folks. Those are actual events within churches over the last several years in which people conflict and fight over. The sad part of this is... There has been a history of disunity among God's people for centuries. I mean, we're not just talking uh, in, within our culture. We're talking, take it back to the Old Testament even. Look at God's people, Old Testament, and the civil wars and the fighting that they had because they, they as God's people, weren't able to get along. You move that into the New Testament, 
in almost every one of the churches that's mentioned in, uh, that's explained about in the New Testament had some form of division, some form of divisiveness within them that the Bible relates to. There was one group that were fighting over who should lead, and this leader's better than this leader. And you had uh, two ladies in the Philippians church that were fighting, and they were told to, to get along. And then you had one church Paul actually referred to as you're biting and devouring one another. That sounds pretty serious, right? It's about the division within the church. No wonder the psalmist said this. Psalm 133 in verse number one, he said, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell or live together in unity. He just kind of said how beautiful that is, how, how wonderful it is when God's people get along in unity, how powerful that is, is what Jesus says, the importance of this idea of unity. So when we come to our passage, Romans 14 and 15, Paul's dealing with a specific unity issue within a particular church, the church of Rome. And there's some issues there that are dividing them. And so now follow what we talk. We talk about being transformed now he comes along and he gets to this issue and he, folks, your, your minds need to be renewed about a lot of things, including what you deal or how you deal with this idea of disagreement and unity within your body. You need a renewed mind as God's people. The question is, how do we get there? And I hope as we go through, walk through some of these verses, you'll, you'll see what Paul says. Uh, we're going to talk about three things today, three areas. One is our attitude as believers, and he's going to equate that with the word accept. Then there's some actual actions we need of unity. He's going to use the word edify. And then we're going to talk about our motives. And he actually uses the word pleasing one another. And, and in this passage, we, we, we're going to look at how God wants us, and not only calls us, but gives us ways that we work on this unity. All right, so let's start. Actually, the first point is, is a review from where we were last week, but I want to make sure we don't miss it. And that's the idea of to accept one another. Your version may say receive one another or even welcome one another. Let me read it for you. Romans 14, verse number one, accept the one whose faith is weak. Or one version says receive the one who is weak in the faith without quarreling over disputable matters. Let me start with that last two words, which we, we talked about in detail last week, but just make sure disputable matters, that's the key here. What we know is the Bible is very clear. There are some things that we are not supposed to do, some things that are condemned in Scripture, and it's very clear, and those things haven't changed. Those are, they, are, they were wrong then, and they're still wrong, and God continues that. There are also some very clear things that we are supposed to do, some commands that we are not necessarily agree with. We're just to obey them, whether we agree with them or not. The Bible's clear on some of those issues. There's some doctrines that the Bible is absolutely saying that we sang about some of them. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in who Jesus was. Those are specifically lined out in scripture. But what he's talking about, disputable matters, there are some things that the Bible's not as dogmatically clear on. And we as believers are going to have some differences of opinion on these disputable matters. And what happens, what we have in those disputable matters is this potential for conflict, for division, for the, the size of your beard type arguments, right? He says those are the ones we have to deal with. He talks about those in the, he's talking to who he says are the strong, and he mentions the weak in the faith. Weak means without strength or powerless. 
this definition got my attention, the state of limited capacity to be or to do something. It's as if something is, is holding them back from being all that they, they could be in their, their walk. He's not saying that they, they lack the facts of faith or that they don't believe in God. He's not talking about that kind of weakness. But there's something, and it's not that they're just weak people. There's something that maybe a tradition that they've had all their life or something that they've seen, and it's, it's actually talking about the, the, way, the, the way that they function, the things that they do, and maybe they're unsure. Maybe they're just they're, they're confused about what they should be as Christians. They, they, they lack the faith about the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. And the fact that they're more interested in following the rules and the regulations because they feel like if I can just get all the do's and don'ts right, then I'm surely going to be more mature. That's the way he, he seems to describe them. They're focused on the externals rather than on the relationship, on the fact that how can I have liberty and not just go off the deep end? That seems that they're, they're, he refers to them as the weak in the faith. And so what does he say? To those of you that are not struggling with that, how do you treat those people? What's your attitude supposed to be towards them? He says, accept them and do it without quarreling, without debating. Receive them, not just, oh, here they come again. It's, it's welcome them. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome them in. Put your arms out to them. And without debating, you, it doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. It means I don't have to be right in this. I don't have to be the one that has the final say in this. I can accept them. In fact, what kind of intrigues me as you walk these passages, nowhere does Paul encourage the weak ones to change their minds? I mean, if he's strong and they're weak and he's saying they've got an issue here, why doesn't he say, and you guys need to, you need to quit being so legalistic, stop, does he, he never says that. It's not in there. What he says is, and this is where we left off last Sunday, verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. He, he looks at both sides and he says, if you're weak, Stop criticizing those who are doing things you don't agree with, disputable things. And if you're the strong, stop looking down at those who don't do everything and, and, and considering them less than what they should be. Stop that. Accept one another. That's the attitude that we're supposed to have towards those who we disagree with in these particular issues. So that's one, accept one another. Here's our second that we're going to now give some new content, and that is we're to edify one another. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar, but edify means to build up. It's actually a construction-type term. It's the idea of, of adding improvements, of, of adding something to, to make it better, right? We think of uh, edification sometimes. It, it is an encouraging word. You know, you're doing a good job. You know, thank you. That, that does edify, but this is more about instruction. It's more about adding value. It's more about adding an improvement. I think we would call it making disciples. It's, it's pouring into lives so that they're getting stronger spiritually. And God has called us as his people to do that with one another. But in this area of disputable matters, how does that fit? Well, let's start our verse again. Stop passing judgment. And he goes on to say, instead, make up your mind. Now, I want to stop there because I find a very interesting way that he, kind of a word play that's going on here that we won't recognize maybe in English. So let me explain it. Passing judgment and make up your own mind. That's actually, both of them are just one word in the Greek language, and it's the exact same word. But it's used in two different ways depending on, on the context in which it's used. So the first one, they, both of them have to do with discerning, distinguishing things, you know, making a decision about, right? So basically what he's saying is stop discerning and distinguishing everybody else's problems, but make up your own mind. 
Make your own decision. In other words, you've heard it said, I've got enough problems of my own. I don't need to worry about yours. But sometimes in church about these disputable matters, people get bent on, on what other people are doing, condemning, looking down. And he says, make up your own mind about how you're going to help build up others. That makes sense? What a great way to put it. And here's how he finishes the verse. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Rather than worrying about their, their opinion on this issue, make up your mind that you're not going to do anything that would cause someone else to stumble. Here's how I would, I would say this. Make sure we understand that your life will affect others. Sometimes we overestimate our significance, our importance sometimes, but often we underestimate the potential of our influence. You've got to understand that the way in which you live, the way that God has put this unified body together is the way you choose to live will affect the others within that body. It will make that kind of difference. He points out two negative potentials. One is this word stumbling block. And that's just what it sounds like. It's something that's in your way that you trip over, that you stumble over. And I know that when many of you, when you see someone stumble, your first thought is to to laugh. I get that, right? It, you make sure they're okay first, but then you, do, you, you get that, right? But let's, let's it different from just something being in your way that maybe you didn't see and the point of you actually putting something in someone's way that they trip over. He actually said it's not just the object in there, but you actually become the object that somebody trips over. Have you ever seen someone, and I'm sure you've never done this, but you're just, and you actually stick out your legs so that they trip over it. You have then become a stumbling block to that person to fall. And what he's saying is it's possible your actions, your choices could cause someone to stumble in their spiritual journey. Then he uses the word obstacle, which is a powerful word. It's the word scandalon, which we get our understanding of scandalous from. It's actually the word for a snare, for a trap. Uh, it's described that the scandalon was that part of a trap in which the bait was placed. So it actually is the trap. It's the part of the trap that actually entices the, the, the victim to come into, the, into the, that problem, right? And he says you have the potential in your choices to actually be a snare, to be a, sna to be a, a trap to someone in their spiritual journey. And now some of you say, oh, I would never do that. I would never purposely. I would never, and, and maybe not. But I was just thinking the other day, how many times have I, you know, maybe I go to bed and I move something, and then I forget to tell my wife, Shelly, right? I forget to tell her, and I go to bed, and then she gets up in the middle of the night, and there's this thing that it's dark, and she trips over it because it's not usually right there, right? Well, I didn't mean to make her trip, but, but my actions, what I did, I put something in her way. And what he's saying is, Christians, make up your mind that you're, not gonna, you're gonna do your best never to put something in the path of someone else that could derail their spiritual journey, that could derail where they are in their walking with Christ. Now, in the next verse, he actually, he concedes a point to those who are strong. He actually says, I agree with the strong in this way, but notice how he describes it. Verse 14, I'm convinced, fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. 
He's saying to the folks, I get it. This food that we're talking about, I, I agree. You can eat anything. What he's saying is God has said everything's kosher. You can eat whatever. That's, that's not a, a spiritual issue any longer. Please don't read this as some have, I've heard somebody say and say, well, nothing's really bad unless you think it's bad. Then it's evil. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about a specific issue of food that had been eaten and some felt one way and some felt another. And he said, food is, is not, it's immaterial. It's not good or bad. It's just food. And he's specifically speaking. But what he's saying is, those of you who are strong, you, you got it right. Okay, good. You understand that there's nothing wrong with whatever you eat, but don't forget there are other people in your church who don't have that same feeling yet. Now, they're, they're followers of Christ. They're, they're trying to please the Lord, but maybe their tradition, maybe they're where they came from, whatever it is, they're, they're, still, they're still wrapping their minds around that, and in their heart, it's not right for them to eat that. And he says, and, and the, the point is that they, they shouldn't be forced or feel like they have to eat that. Until certain food is unclean. In fact, look at the next verse, verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. He said you could actually, by you saying, well, I can do this. I, I, nothing's wrong with food, so I can do whatever I want in that ca- category, in this disputable matter. But by you doing so, you could, he says, the word, uh, the word that he uses is distress or actually cause pain spiritually in their life. Or you could potentially even destroy their spiritual journey, bring them to spiritual ruin. Come on, Paul. Let's back up. A, a, you're just being a little overdramatic, aren't you? I mean, destroy Spiritual ruin? How in the world is this even possible? Well, he doesn't tell us exactly what he means, but he implies a couple of things. One could be the fact that 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 person that's not yet dealt with that, and maybe God will never lead him in that direction. And and we can say, well, I'm I'm fine with eating everything, and, and they're not. But if by your peer pressure... They decide to eat. What it does is their conscience isn't ready for that. Between them and God, they're not convinced of that. And look what he says in verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. If they're, if they're defining their conscience, and if their conscience isn't yet to the point that yours is in your area of freedom, you're actually causing them to defile that, and that's a, that's a sin. That's a con- condemnation that they're going to experience. And so that distresses. It could even destroy their spiritual journey. I also think it's implied, based on that word obstacle, that trap, that maybe our actions could actually be a a tripping point and, and, and a temptation that maybe someone has an issue in which they're struggling with and me doing that could actually then say, well, if they can do it, then I must be right. And it actually takes them into an area of, a, of sin in their life. Maybe that's the point they could destroy. Or it's just someone, they're looking in and they're trying to figure all this out and they say, wait, if that's the way things are going, I don't want anything to do with this faith. And they walk away. Whatever he says, is, it's possible that someone's life could be distressed, even destroyed, by us doing what we know to be okay and yet not considering those other people. Look what he says in verse 16. Therefore, do not let what you know to be good. You know this is okay. This is your freedom. Don't let what you know to be good to be spoken of as evil, to be blasphemed by others, to be taken in a way that would cause them 
to fall. Here's the reality. Your life, your choices will affect others. And we're part of this unity. And so the way that it works is what we do, it does affect those around you. And if you're more concerned, you're more about being right or flaunting the freedom that you know that you have, if that's your biggest concern, then according to verse 15, let me read it again, you are no longer acting in love. You say what you want. I love people, but if you're, if you're not willing to consider how it affects them, you're no longer acting in love. In fact, 1 Corinthians 8 on a similar topic, Paul said this, that knowledge, your freedom, what you know, it, that puffs up, but love builds up. And that's what God wants. We're to be building up others. Your, your knowledge, this is what I know, that puffs you up, that gets you proud. But if you love and you have a concern, that, that will build others up. Question, am I puffing or am I building? Am I using what God has given me to build others or just to fulfill what I have in mind? So then he keeps going. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Circle that kingdom of God phrase. That's important, verse 18, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. We know that the reason there is these issues in unity is, is the enemy knows how powerful unity will be, and so he's going to do everything he can to to take away the unity, to divide the church, to make them not work together. And he's going to try to get us off track into things that are not really important. So secondly, what I want you to hear is this. Don't let the disputable detract from the essential. Don't let these things that are disputable, don't let them get us off uh, into areas that are not really doing what God has called us to do. The strong people, you, you, you're not wrong in thinking I can eat whatever I want. That's biblical. That is true. That's not a wrong belief, but it is wrong if I use that freedom without regard for those who are still working through it or still growing in that area. The ones, as he described, people for whom Christ died. Think about that. They, he, Christ died for that brother and sister, and he gave his life so that they would, and you're treating them as if it really doesn't matter. He said, the point is, there are more important things. We need to reevaluate our priorities. The kingdom of God is what's important. It's doing what God, the mission that God has called us to do together. That's more important than if I'm, if I'm right and my opinion is validated. It's more important that God's kingdom is moving forward. And, and notice the, the three words that he uses. He talks about righteousness, things that are pleasing, right, with God. He talks about peace, which is that horizontal brother-to-sister, brother-to-brother type peace that we have. And he says when those things are in happening, there will be joy. It's righteousness, peace, joy. That's what is about the kingdom. He goes on to say, and anyone who serves Christ in this way, if you live by those standards, if you're living for the kingdom first, or as Matthew says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, if that's your, the way that you live, you'll be pleasing to God and you'll receive approval from others. You're best of both worlds, you'll be able to say, I'm doing what God wants me to do, and others will see that you love them and care for them. Look what he says in verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. You could read that. Do not destroy God's work for the sake of your disputable matters, because of your opinions, because of your preferences. Don't let that destroy what God is doing. All food's clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. 
What's important is God's work being done, and it's important that we recognize how we can affect others. He continues on with the verse that we're kind of focusing on, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In other words, he says, do whatever we can to help each other grow. Do whatever you can to have peace and to help each other grow. That's going to beg a question. Am I really willing to do whatever it takes to have unity, to see God's work done? Is it really that important to me? Look at the words he says, make every effort, literally pursue. The word means to hunt down. We might use in English the word stalk. Stalk peace in such a way, do whatever you can to see that, that you're pursuing peace. It, it reminds me of a verse, Ephesians chapter 4, where he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do everything you can. Isn't that interesting? That Now, not only make every effort to be at peace, make every effort to keep the unity, but how are you going to keep the unity? By peace. By keeping, by doing what it is to bring peace. That the unity comes as a part of peace. Now, we're not talking about unity at any cost. Peace at any, you know, we just, we just can't ever disagree. We can't, he's not talking about, he's not talking, take, telling us to take these uh, disputable matters and never, never talk about them. It's not just, uh, you know, that I have mine and, and we just, it's about we agree to disagree. We bring this to a matter of, of peace. We, we do everything we can to live at peace. He said it in Romans chapter 12. He said, as much as it's in you, do whatever you can to, to live in this, this love and this peace with one another. We, peace may not happen, but we have to do everything we can, pursue it. But he also said, pursue mutual edification. The goal is that as a body, we're mutually supposed to help each other grow. Your, your differences, the way that you see things, we talk about them in the context of peace, and that could help strengthen my life. And vice versa, the things that God is showing me, and I share them with you, and we, we discuss in this attitude of peace, it can help you grow. It's about we're pursuing peace and mutual edification, but we won't have the opportunity to mutually edify if we're not doing it in peace. Pursue peace and mutual edification. How far... Should we be willing to take this? Look how he describes it, verse 22, 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Are we willing to hold back on some things that are perfectly okay if that's what's best for our brother or sister? Verse 22, whatever you believe about these things, Keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. It's not about hiding and never talk. It's about when it comes down to it, it's not, a big, it's not kingdom worthy for an argument. It's not worth me defiling the peace so that I can be right. It's about, it's about keeping the, me and God, we're good. I, I got this. And so we, but don't condemn ourselves by pushing what we know to be approved. So, for the cause of unity, he says to accept one another. That's our attitude. He says to edify, to build up one another. That's where we actively are working for the best of others. But in chapter 15, he adds one more, and this is our motive. We are to be doing what we do to please one another. Look at verse 1. 
we who are strong ought to. So remember, we talked about the strong or weak. You might, at some point, my guess is each one of us is going to have a weakness in an area and someone else will be strong and vice versa. I, I just think that's going to happen. So if you consider yourself strong in this particular disputable matter, then you're obliged to, this is what you ought to do. Look what he says. Bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse number two, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. It's about who are you trying to please? As followers of Christ, it's not about pleasing self, it's about pleasing others. Now, please understand, when I say please and what Paul says please, he's not talking about making everybody happy and being a people pleaser. What he's talking about is doing what is in the best interest of others. Because weak or strong, we all struggle with this innate selfishness. Even after we follow Christ, there's that, that desire within us to want what's best for us. And he's saying what it, in the body of Christ, in this unity that God is giving us, it's about not for what is best for me always, but what is best interest of those around me. It's not about I never have a disagreement, I never have an opinion, I never take care of myself, but it's about putting the needs, the interests of others first. In fact, he says, bear with the failings of the weak. That word bear with is it's pretty powerful. Actually, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul used the same word when he said, he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What he means there is come along under someone who's burdened and help lift the load, bear that burden with them. So he's using the same picture here. He's not talking about bearing with someone who's weak or someone you disagree with as in you're tolerating them, you're putting up with their stuff, you're, oh, I hope they grow up someday. It's not bearing with as if you're putting up with somebody in, in impatience. What it means is you're actually going to put your shoulder with them and help them carry this load. Help them bear this weakness. Help them grow in their, your, help them edify. You're bearing this weakness with them is what they said for, notice what he said, for their good, to build them up. You're pleasing them for what is best for them, what will help them be the best spiritually that they can be because true love as a Christian is not selfish. It's about what is best for those that I'm in this, this unity with. The question is, have we, ever, have we ever seen somebody do this, live in this kind of selfless way for others? Look what he does. He gives us an example. Verse number three, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He says, you want to see an example of this? Let's go back to our Savior himself. Jesus, when he came to this earth, took upon the, the insults of those who dis, not only disagreed with him, they hated him, and ultimately that insult was more than just verbal assaults of his life. The insults actually led, him, led them to the cross where he gave his life for our sins. So he took the insults, he took all of that that people said, and, and rather than pleasing himself, because we know he could have called down the angels, he could have stopped it all, but he took all of that so that you and I could have eternal life. He bore those insults so for our benefit, for you and for me. That's what Jesus did. So here, here's the point. If Christ 
the Holy One was willing to sacrifice to have that kind of suffering to minister to you and me? His point is, then shouldn't we be willing to give up a little eating and drinking for the benefit of somebody else? Give up a disputable matter for the case of somebody else? If Jesus is willing to do that for us, why couldn't we give a little on some of these disputable issues? You see, spiritual maturity, Christian, if you consider yourself strong, that means you're willing and able to do what's best for others and not just for yourself. And not you're begrudging it. It's a blessing. You know that's what God has called you to do, and you're able to do it with that kind of excitement. But did you notice something he said? When he talked about Jesus, he says, it is written. Which when Paul's talking about that, that means he's quoting from the Old Testament. When it talks about Jesus being insulted here, that's actually a quote from, you can look it up, Psalm 69. And it talks about him being insulted. But then he goes on to say in the next verse, makes this so much, makes so much sense. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. All right, let's be real, folks. What Paul, what God is teaching us through Paul here about this unity and about selflessness, this is hard stuff. We're going to have to have a renewed mind. It goes against so many of our natural instincts to be able to, to love people that way and for their best interest. But what he's saying is there is a source of encouragement for us to, to go to. And he, he showed us in Jesus, he was our example, but he got the example from looking at the Old Testament as it is written. The things in the past, he said, are for our endurance and our encouragement. Think about this. When Paul wrote those words, the only things written in the past was the Old Testament. That's all that he had. He was actually part of writing the New Testament. So now we as believers of this day, everything in the past that was written, that includes the whole scripture, Old and New Testament. What God is saying is, folks, you have a resource here to be able to do what God has called you to do. As it is written, the scriptures bring, we need a, we need a renewed commitment, a renewed consistency in, in taking God's word and letting it speak to us. And on a daily basis, letting God's word tell us what he wants us to learn. Because that's where we get our endurance and our encouragement is from what God is telling us in his scriptures. God's word provides us endurance and encouragement. Endurance to, to put up with things that we're just not sure we can do any longer. Things that don't make sense. So you look at the whole Bible. Look at the scriptures. You've got guys like Noah and Abraham and Moses. And, and you've got David and Joshua. You've got the, the New Testament. You've got the, the, uh, the writers. You've got Peter and you've got Paul and you've got Mary. They ought to form a singing group or something. Peter, but anyway, they've got all of these, these folks in that. What they're teaching us is that you can do this. God do things that they didn't understand, didn't make sense, but yet God was real, God was faithful, endure, trust in him. That's what the Bible teaches us. But also endurance in the form of putting up with some people that are a little hard to deal with and not giving up on that Christian who just doesn't get it yet, who's still growing and still learning. We can learn endurance from God's word. And then there's words of encouragement. There are so many. Let me just throw out a few. Word, the Bible encourages us. Be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. God will never leave you and forsake you. The Lord is our shepherd, our rock, our light, our refuge, our strength. All things work together for the good of those 
who love him are called according to his purpose. And what God started in you, he will finish. All of those are words of encouragement. Here's what he's saying. Consistently consider the example of Jesus and what he did, and he gave his life for our sins. But then consider the encouragement that God is going to help you do what he's calling you to do. God's word gives you that kind of help. So now we come to the conclusion. Come back to where we started. Verse number five, chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. Here's his prayer. Here's my prayer for you as God's people, as as a church, Calvary Baptist. May May the God who gives endurance and encouragement help you to have the same mind. Some versions read to have that spirit of unity or help us to live in the harmony that God has made. Help us to have the same mind, the same attitude that Jesus had where he put others first. He says that's the attitude that it will keep to help the unity be what God has called it to be, to have that renewed mind. And so God working in our heart. And then notice the conclusion. Here's why this is, this is what's at stake. Look at verse number six. Have the same mind, have unity, harmony, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next verse, verse seven, he kind of takes it all back to where he started. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Why is this unity so important? Well, let me say it this way. Unity is not the goal. Unity is what God has given us to do, but that's not the goal. Did you notice the goal was so that with that unity, we bring glory to God. With that unity, when we accept one another, we bring praise to God. The ultimate goal is that God has a mission for you. God has called you as a light here in your, in your town, in your community, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. God has put you there. And he says, as we come together in this unity, God can make an impact that will then bring him glory. It's bigger than just the unity of our church. It's bigger than that. It's the unity that will, will change the world for Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is getting. That's what Jesus, remember what Jesus said, may they be one, Father, so that the world will know that you love them and that you love me, that I love them. And I, all of those things that God wants the world to know when he, we come together with one heart, one voice, and we accept one another for his praise. Think about that. One heart, one voice. Why is that so important? Well, here's the thing. Your one little voice, it, has, it can have a great impact. But you add your voice to all the other voices that are doing are saying the same thing, and now you don't just have one voice, you have this extremely loud voice that's making an impact in the world around you. Several years ago, I was sitting in a, in a football stadium watching, watching my team, the Jets, play, and be honest, they don't play as well as they cheer. Let's just put it that way, okay? But they have a great cheering section. And while I was sitting in this game, and I'm across the field, and there's a guy on the other side, his name, we, they, we called him Fireman Ed. He was a fireman and he had a hat, but he would start this chant and you could see him stand up, start waving his hat, and he would say, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Well, I saw him waving his hat. I couldn't hear anything. But then he repeats it again and a few people around him start saying it. And then they repeat it again and that half of the stadium starts saying it. 
And within a few seconds, this whole stadium of 30,000-plus screaming fans are saying, Jets, Jets, all in unison, all in one voice. That one little voice, that was impactful. But when you add all the other voices together, think of the impact that that has on those listening. And that's what God's saying to us. Your voice is important. But within you in unity, we'll add your voice to someone else. And in unity, that adds a third and a fourth. And in unity, all of God's people together begin to shout, God is real. Jesus loves you. And it's not just my voice. It's all of us as one voice with one heart doing what God has called us to do. And the community will have to take, sit up and take notice because unity is essential to our goal, to our mission to what God has called us. The, the, the mission, what God has set in mind for us, that's where we're headed. But unity is essential for us to get there. Church, that's what's important for you going forward is that in unity, you do what God has called you to do. And with one heart, one voice, you proclaim what God has wanted you to do and just watch what God can do with your lives. So today, there's two simple questions. One, we talked about the the sacrifice Jesus made when he died on the cross. And he did that because all of us as sinners need a savior. The question is, have you received that gift? Is there a point in your life when you realize that, that as a sinner, you needed a savior, that you were separated from God, and yet you realize that Jesus gave his life so that you could have eternal life? It's, it's very simple. He says we need to admit the fact that we're sinners. We need a savior. You need to believe that Jesus died and rose again to save us. And then with our mouth, confess, Jesus, save me, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I will follow you with my life. Have you done that? Have you received that gift that Jesus provided in his death? If you have, then my question is this. How are we doing in our part of keeping the unity, of, of living in this spirit of unity with others around us, the other believers? How, how are you doing with accepting those who you disagree with? How are you doing about edifying others and, and doing whatever you can to build them up? How are you doing about pleasing the others or meeting the needs of others, even above some of your own personal interests and opinions? Jesus said, this unity is what makes this mission come alive. How are we doing as God's people? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Their heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me pray for you today. Father, for all those gathered here today in this service personally and for those still watching online, I pray, Father, that your word is just ringing so true and clear in our ears today. But, Lord, that we'll go from hearing to responding, to acting on what we've heard. Lord, I do pray if there's one under the sound of my voice who has not yet received that gift of salvation, they've not yet received your forgiveness, please call them. Help them to realize their need realize that you supplied their need with your death on the cross. Draw them to yourself. And then, Lord, as Christians, as believers, help us to understand the difference between the essential and the disputable and, and focus our attention on the work of the kingdom and what God wants to do and the fact that you will do that through us together. And it will be so much louder, so much stronger, so much more convincing if we're one voice, one heart. God, show us what that looks like. Help us to take whatever steps needed to make that happen in our lives and in our church and in the community that you put us in. 
We love you, Father. Thank you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I invite you to take this time and talk to the Lord about maybe what he said to you today. Maybe there's a step that you put on your connection card or you mention in the comments online of just what God is saying to you today. We'll take that and just word it to him in prayer. Talk to him today about what he's talking to you about. And if you have questions or you want to know more about knowing Christ, I'd love to talk to you personally. You can, you can see me, you can make an appointment, you can message me, but I'd love to hear and to speak with you about what God is saying. So let's take a moment and just pray to him and I'll wrap us up as we close in just a minute.